0: We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet. May peace be upon him. Okay, so once again, welcome back to to everyone to our fun and exciting exploration of Surah Al-Fatiha as well as eventually getting to Surah Al-Baqarah, which will probably be in probably just a couple days. So, the last discussion we were focused on, on on struggle, and that is a discussion I want to also continue through to today. First, by giving a map on how to process struggle. And so, give me one second. I have to make myself a co-host here, and so somebody needs to be muted. But I don't see who. Okay, so. So you all can see the whiteboard. Yes. Okay. Very good. So the core point of yesterday's discussion was that as I'm dealing with struggle, what I need to do is to try to be honest with myself about what I'm feeling because the more honest I am with myself, the more honest I'm going to be with God. And those prayers, those du'as, will often be more sincere than the standard prayers that we make, you know, oh, please take care of me, please take care of my family, you know, please give me this, please give me that, please make me happy, all those things. Uh, Those prayers you should still do. But the point we're making here is that when you are being honest with yourself about your feelings, about your emotions, then You will be a lot more honest in those moments with God when you are speaking to God, like if you're saying to God, you know, Oh Allah, you know how 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 scared I am right now, you know, Oh Allah, can you please help me? I don't want to be angry like this. Please help me. Now it's something different if I'm turning angry and then turning away from Allah. That's a problem. I'm saying experience the emotion you are experiencing and then turn back to God with those emotions and so the map to think about to help follow this one the first key point to comprehend is let's do this a little bit darker color uh is basically that okay well here's oh sorry here's Allah and then here's me one of the first steps to accept is Allah is free to do as he wills And so what is the idea here? <clears throat> that Allah is has 100% freedom, unchallenged, unchallengeable freedom to do whatever he wants with me. Intellectually, I think we all understand this. But the point is to really try to internalize this. Because likewise, in terms of spreading his bounty, Allah has complete freedom to give of his bounty to whomever he wills. So in the latter part of Surah 2, in the latter part of Surah Al-Baqarah, we see people who turn against Allah out of jealousy. Why is Allah giving to them and not to us? If I truly feel Allah is free to give to whomever he wills, that should wipe away a lot of my jealousy, that should also make me at peace with the fact that whatever he wants, he can do. And meanwhile, in terms of myself, I want to develop authenticity in my emotions, in my sentiments. So... One of the points that I that I was making, especially to the to the earlier class today, that if I'm not being honest about what's in my heart in terms of my religious thinking, my religious practice, my kids will recognize it. My kids will recognize it from when they're little. And they'll definitely see it in their teenage years and their formative years. And that will then affect how much do they buy into belief system that I'm trying to get them to follow. And that will especially play in my grandchildren. And so the more authenticity I have, the more my kids are also going to recognize that. But the primary point is is not for my kids' salvation, it's for my own salvation. You're not going to care about your kids on the the day of judgment even. And so, so the point here is that We are so focused in our community to focus on how you should feel in a given moment that it's resulted in us being very dishonest with ourselves about how we do feel. Now, where do we want to get to from there is to truly internalize not only that Allah is free to do as He wills but He also made a promise. Allah will not give me anything I can't handle. Allah will not hit me With anything I can't handle. That whatever it is that Allah hits me with. I can make it through. Unless of course it's like a terminal illness. That's going to take my life. Then that's my death sentence. But the point is that that should not lead me. To turn away from Allah. So if. I can truly internalize that Allah is not going to give me anything I cannot handle, then that will also allow me to embrace my powerlessness. In terms of our modern culture, our modern American culture, this is one of the most frightening concepts of them all, right? Because we, ele- we, we elevate the idea of people who are their own bosses, who are masters of their own destiny and such. But we're saying here that there's a big portion of life that you have no control over. And this also applies to many aspects of struggle, that there are aspects of struggle that you're not going to have any control over, like the fact of getting hit with struggle. You can have influence on whether or not you get hit with a bigger heart or a bigger small struggle. This I didn't share with the previous class. If you recite ayat al-kursi at the end of each fard prayer, one of the teachings is that it'll divert or diffuse struggles that are supposed to hit you. So it could be that that late has a struggle scheduled for him, um, let's say the day after Eid. Okay, we're gonna use the Islamic calendar for a moment. Okay. And let's say it's supposed to be a really big struggle. But late, after his prayers, he recites Ayatollah Kursi. He, he's still going to be hit with something, but it's going to be something small. Like, you know, maybe he's, he's uh, his computer um, is going to shut down uh, unintentionally while he's working on a paper or something, you know. Uh, but it's still saved, so it's just a five-minute nuisance. So the point I'm making is that part of the challenge of dealing with struggle is embracing your powerlessness. If you've ever heard of Reinhold Niebuhr, Niebuhr, he's a Christian theologian. He's very famous for the serenity prayer. You've all probably heard of the serenity prayer, which is, oh God, grant me the, the power to change the things I can and like the freedom not to worry about the things I can't change and the wisdom to know the difference. It's something like that. If you look up uh, serenity prayer, you'll find that. But the point we're making here is that after you become authentic in terms of your emotions, authentic with yourself, it'll be easier to embrace those things, to be clear on what you have no power over, which then will lead to looking at what you do have power over. So looking at your responsibilities. So those of you who've ever taken my adulting class over the years, the very first lesson of my adult, you know, how to be an adult class is that being an adult basically means you're taking ownership for your condition. And what percentage of your life you blame on anything other than yourself is essentially how much of a child you still are. Even if the cause is someone else, your responsibility is on your shoulders, uh, so Leith is asking, how do you drill down to uh, what your most authentic sentiments are? Can you identify, can you, can what you identify still be dishonest? Okay, this is really good. So, so it's not so much going down to the core authentic sentiments. What is your actual most core authentic sen- sentiment? It is, I am in need. That's literally your most core authentic sentiment. And a step above that is, I'm in need of relief. And then it could be, I'm in need of relief through justice. And that's why we get angry because we feel like justice is not being served. So we overcompensate by being angry. But where am I talking about being honest? It's being honest with the fact that you're angry. Being honest with the fact that you're afraid. Being honest with the fact that you're frustrated. Being honest with the fact that you feel like you can never win. If that is a feeling. So it's a very common sentiment they see Arabs uh, uh young people have with their parents i can't ever make you happy right and and whether or not they admit it to themselves that is a common feeling and so you're owning that feeling the process of getting to why that's going deeper okay, so it's not going to be can what you identify be dishonest no it just may not be all the way down to the core but I'm distinguishing distinguishing between how you feel versus how you're telling yourself you should feel. That's the dishonesty. When you are not paying attention to how you feel and you're only looking at how you should feel to the point that this way you even keep repeating to yourself. Like the example I gave of someone who's been hit with a struggle and then they're telling themselves, Allah doesn't give me anything I can't handle and I can make it through this and, you know, I'm going to be fine. And they're, ignoring the fact that inside they feel completely destroyed. Makes sense? Yeah. Okay. So the next level to get to in terms of appreciating what Allah is doing is to really start to reach the point that you look at what he's doing with you and for you as Rahmah. Yeah. is asking, what is the purpose of ideals that we've been too busy focusing on? A lot of times the good of ideals is that they do give you a direction to aspire to. So think of this screen, each column that I move to the right is the further I'm away from it, it's more of an ideal. And whatever column I'm in is is the real. So the ideal is giving me, okay, where do I want to get to? And what is the end point of, of this diagram? It is Rida. What is Rida? It is that you are pleased with Allah and Allah is pleased with you. As a concept, again, it is very easy to comprehend that I am happy with whatever Allah gives me. me. If I'm happy. Whatever Allah gives me, then by definition, Allah is happy with me. Doesn't mean He's not happy with me in the other steps, but here I have reached this point. But it is also just as it's an easy concept to understand, it's also an easy concept to lie to yourself that you're there. That's the whole point of the chart. So neither, if I'm in column one, if I'm in square the bottom square of column one, then every other square, so to speak, is an ideal. Make sense? So ideals essentially give you targets to focus on, targets to get to. Sometimes ideals are impossible to attain and that is not how our tradition works. So some some traditions tend to be very pie in the sky where they're calling you to the super highest level of, of conduct that nobody can get to here we're basically saying everyone whatever place you're at you're looking for the next stair step um, to uh, to get to as you're trying to get to the top of the stairs but i can't know what the next stair step is unless i know the stair step i'm at okay anyone have any questions about any of this so far so so again Taking what we had yesterday, which is to be authentic with yourself about your, about your feelings. Now we're looking at where we want to get to. What you don't want to do is feel anger at a law and then turn away from a law. That's complete failure. What you want to do is if you're feeling angry, is that you turn to a law and you express this anger that you don't want to have. Or you express this frustration that you're feeling. You're you're expressing this feeling that you just feel overwhelmed. And then the next step from there, in terms of yourself, is to really acknowledge where you're powerless. The more you can recognize those places in your life where you're powerless, the more you're actually going to start feeling free. Because we often worry about things that we have no power over. And so the most common issue that I have with undergrads coming to the office is anxiety over things that they have no control over. And it's as though we worry, as though we're telling ourselves, okay, if I worry, then I'm doing something about the unknown. No worry literally does nothing for you with the unknown, except it makes you miserable. And think of anxiety as worry on steroids. Right. Okay, <clears throat> so no one has any questions about this. Everyone seems to completely, perfectly understand this. Okay, so there's one additional point I want to make uh, about dealing with struggle. It sounds like someone just turned off their microphone. And the so about uh, Ummah, like if we translate that into the Ummah, yeah. like uh, this is this is the individual level, right? So yesterday you mentioned about the similar uh, problem is collectively with the Ummah. So how do we understand that? So as a collective, I'm saying this has literally been how we've taught how we've been taught to live our islam which is to look at how we should behave how we should feel but not how we do feel and not how do we get from where we are to where we should and so i'm saying there's a whole massive breakdown across the ummah where you know the analogy i gave yesterday was that the entire ummah is sort of like a battered housewife and what is battering us it's dunya that's battering us Meaning, think of all, all the people that have migrated to America, not for prosperity, not for ease, because it's pretty—I mean, that's my family as well. But thinking that, okay, if I get money, all my problems are solved. And and those parents are usually my job security, because you know the parents are are yelling and screaming at the kids because the kids aren't listening to them. The parent gave the child every single luxury. Know, but they didn't give him any nurturing, and they didn't give any guidance on how to make it through life. And so, so there is a very, very common sentiment throughout the world, throughout the Muslim world, that we that we are trying to live according to how we should, which nobody does. Make sense? And I can't speak about the whole Muslim world, but I had a student in in the other class who who's from Egypt who says, no, it's global as far as she's concerned. But um, I would definitely say this is a common issue in American Islam. Probably a common issue in Canadian Islam as well. That people live in the imagination rather than the reality. Uh, Nether. Yeah, um, so the way I see it, like there is, I guess the me and Allah boxes should all kind of correspond and I guess I don't see the relationship between the third me box and the third Allah box. Okay, so the third me box is me looking at my responsibilities, which is also easier to do when I am seeing whatever Allah gives me as Rahma pouring upon me. Which then means that, okay, if Allah is taking care of everything else, the things that I don't have power over, then I focus on the things that I have to take care of. So there's a hadith in our tradition, quoting Jesus, peace be upon him, where Jesus is reported to have said, look at all these people who work so hard for dunya, even though dunya is provided. And they don't work at all for akhirah, And akhirah is earned. And so, so the point is that... Uh, <clears throat> if I can go through this evolution in my understanding of Allah, one, he's free to do whatever he wills. He can help me or not. But in terms of struggle, he's not going to give me anything I can't handle. And by default, everything he's going to give me is actually rahmah. That should give me a whole lot of relief in my heart. Even in struggle. I mean, it doesn't mean I don't feel pain. We gave the example yesterday that the prophet, peace upon him, felt tremendous pain over the loss of Khadija years after she was gone. Because we often say, okay, you're only allowed to mourn for three days, right? Okay, that's the actual official mourning process. But you're gonna miss your loved one long after they're gone, as the prophet did. When Jafar died, the prophet was very sad to the point that he had trouble telling Jafar's son, you know, that your father has died. When his grandson was very sick, and he's holding his grandson. He's in tears. And so, so we often make Islam what many Protestants have done with Christianity, with Jesus, where the ethic of Jesus is something that is not attainable by humans. And that works for Protestants in Protestant tradition, but that's what we've turned Islam into. And that I don't think that works in Islam. That it's focused on the world that is in front of you, uh, as opposed to the world that's in your imagination. Try to bring your imagination closer to the world that's in front of you. And so these steps are towards that process. So if I can truly appreciate that what Allah is giving me is Rahmah, even if it's, you know, if I still feel okay, it could be more Rahmah, you know, but it's still overall merciful. Uh, it makes it much easier for me to then focus on my own personal empowerment. So when I'm looking at responsibilities, it is saying that I do have some power. And what is the power that I have? I do have the power of choice. And to even simplify this whole thing, what am I basically saying is that when you're thinking of what Allah is doing for you, He's not abandoning you, even in the struggles. The struggle is not an act of Allah abandoning you. And then you have responsibilities to get through life because the world does not owe you anything. You know, it's almost like, well, my, so my first lesson in adulting class is that an adult is one who takes ownership for their condition. My first lesson for people who are graduating from undergrad is that the world doesn't owe you anything. Okay, any other questions about any of this so far? The other big point that I'd like us to discuss for today is when we think of an afterlife, whether it's through the Muslim lens, Christian lens, Buddhist lens, Hindu lens, and such, just the belief in it, forget of whether it's true or not, what is the belief in an afterlife do for us? What does it provide for us? Just having it as a belief. What do you think? Accountability. So the accountability, uh, definitely, but I think even something more simple, uh, more akin to what Judy is saying here, that if I believe that there's an afterlife, then I do believe that there's something more than this world. And then, in terms of our approach to the afterlife, then I'm also believing that there's consequences. So this is like the point, uh, we'll seem to be mentioned, of, of, of accountability. And Hania, your point is absolutely correct. Wait, remind me again, is it Hania or Hania? Hania. Hania, yeah, sorry about that. Okay, So, so it should give me relief. It should give me hope. Because this world is not fair. There will be countless people in this world who will get away with uh, doing wrong to other people and will not face anything in this world and might even be celebrated as heroes in this world. And there will be even more people in this world who will go through life having been oppressed, annihilated, and no one will even know right i mean so in the previous class we just had a conversation about this this young man who was being chased after 13 year old man who was being chased by the police and then as soon as he looked his hand the police officer shot him and he died and and the part of the story that, that everyone's already forgotten is that this story was all, all kept as a secret from the mother for for a couple of weeks before the before the police even revealed that oh yeah we actually know the story we know why he's missing because we killed him and, and so the point is, that's a case where we've actually heard the story. You know, I've chatted with a friend of mine who, who's uh, um, an ER physician in the south side of Chicago at U of C, who talks about how many John Doe's and Jane Doe's they have, who never get identified. Uh, and their family might never even know whatever happened to them. And that's here. That's urban America. Now, imagine if I'm in some ultra rural village, you know, whether we're speaking of of any other part of the world where who knows what is happening with the children, the point we're saying is that if you at least have a belief in the afterlife, you have a belief that there is something bigger. And then our understanding of the afterlife, when we're talking about the day of judgment, the belief itself should give me Not only a sense of relief and hope, but also a sense of accountability and fear. But the idea being that any suffering I am hit with, it is not Allah abandoning me. It is being witnessed. Any type of struggle I'm experiencing, Allah is witnessing. Because go back to the point we made about al-Rahim and Rabbil Alameen. We said that Allah, every moment of your life, is giving you 100% focus, 100% attention, to the point that everything that is happening to you, Allah is willfully putting on you at what is the perfect time for you. That includes ease, that includes struggle. That that struggle that you've been hit with was designed specifically for you at that moment in your life. And the point is that you're not going to be given struggle, like we were talking about all the squares in the previous screen, but you're also not going to be given struggle, except that Allah is also going to wipe away sins to pay you, to compensate you for it. Which he does not have to do. That is part of the deal he set up. And so a big point we're saying is dunya is not fair. This world is not fair, no matter how you try to spin it. The more you can accept that this world is not fair, the easier it will then become to start focusing on things like how justice should be and, and what to work on in terms of justice and such. Okay. Any questions about this? So why are fear and accountability not part of an afterlife part as well? Because when I'm speaking of the afterlife, I'm just speaking about it as a a concept. So yeah, uh, what if we just say that everyone's just going to be resurrected? Uh, What if I make up a religion and say everyone's going to be reincarnated, doesn't matter how you live your life? And and so it can still be hope in the sense that all right, I had a miserable life here, but maybe my next reincarnation I'll still have a happy life. And so I'm basically including all the different ideas of of of, of uh, an afterlife, not specifically the Muslim version. That's the Day of Judgment uh, part of the screen. Honey, uh, let me know if that makes sense or if you need more explanation. Okay, good. Okay. So we can. Uh, yeah. Sorry, we no. we can say that. Um... Uh, if you are sur- suffering in this world, so so dunya is not fair, right? You can you can feel that. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you are not suffering, and you do not get the afterlife, then it is also dunya is not fair. But you are not realizing. Yeah. So you might be You're living, a very s- billionaire, or you can be like. Yeah, uh, you, you might be living in all kinds of luxury, and exactly. say, what do you mean life is not fair? I work so hard. I've gotten everything. You know, life is completely fair. Yeah. You can think that life is fair. Doesn't mean that it is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Omar, I have a quick question. Please. Um, could you just is there a distinction that we should make in our minds when we think about, you know, the suffering and the struggling that we're going through as to whether something is a direct consequence of what we have done or maybe poor choices that we have made versus struggling suffering that we're undergoing that as a result of something that was outside of our control and how does that relate to this whole how does that tie into the whole thing okay good good question and so we have to distinction we have to distinguish here between consequence versus punishment okay (laughs) okay So punishment does not happen in this world. Consequence does. So you have two twins raised exactly the same way their whole lives. And both of them smoke like chimneys, smoke tobacco. What's funny is when, when undergrads say smoking, I have to ask them, we're talking about tobacco or weed, and they're always talking about weed. So two people who are smoking tobacco their whole lives, you know, at least adult lives, one person gets emphysema. Is it a punishment? No, it's a consequence. The other person doesn't get emphysema. We can say it's a mercy from Allah. But for however it is, health played out, they didn't get it. And and so punishment, however, does not happen. Meaning, for example, if I lie to you, and then five seconds later, uh, a rock falls on my foot and it hurts my foot, there isn't a correlation there. Right. It isn't as though Allah is punishing me because I just told you a lie. Does that make sense? But consequence does happen in this world. But even consequence sometimes might seem arbitrary. So you say that, um, you know, so like let's say a rock falls on your foot. But couldn't we also view that as a warning from Allah or, you know, kind of a, a sign from Allah that maybe what I just did was not right? So we could, but I caution against that because it gets very, very selective, because I might interpret this as a warning from Allah: hey, okay, don't lie. Well, meanwhile, let's say I'm abusing my children, and I don't feel any warnings about that, right? And so a lot of times when we're reading signs negatively, we're picking and choosing the meaning. It's not as much of a problem to read signs positively, like, okay, you know, you know, maybe, maybe Allah's happy with me or something, but Uh, I very much caution against reading signs negatively, though. Mainly because we're going to pick and choose the meaning. And we could be, you know, seeing only the small wrong that we're doing and ignoring the big wrong. That's a great point. Thank you. Absolutely. Any other questions about, about this? Okay. So in terms of speaking about suffering, Uh, From a philosophical point, what are we saying? This world is not fair. But the more I can embrace that, the more I'm going to be able to navigate life according to how it does operate. It doesn't mean I don't work towards justice. I still work towards justice and such. Then likewise, in terms of my own dealing with suffering, part of the process is for me to be fair with, uh, honest with myself so that then I can be honest with Allah. And then I gave this this map on general steps to take in the process of getting more and more honest. With the goal, what is the goal? The goal is to reach a point of pleasure with God. Now, keep in mind that you reach this point of pleasure with God, you're still going to be hit with suffering, and the struggles are going to get harder. So even if you feel like you've been hit with uh, things that are so painful, no one, I mean, I can't imagine anything worse There can also possibly be worse. And think about this. In this world, one of the worst things you can ever be hit with is losing a child. And how many children did the prophet lose in his lifetime? Six children? Try to imagine the pain. Some of you know this pain of losing one child, maybe two. He buried all of his children in his lifetime, except for one, except for Fatima. And then on top of that, this happened while he is prophet that the community is still relying upon him to lead them. So he doesn't even get that much space to really really struggle. And then on top of that, who are the people he's calling to his message, his cousins, and they're rejecting him for no reason. And he's calling them just essentially to be upright, and he's calling them to their old religion, because they all believe that Ibrahim, peace be upon him, built the Kaaba, And so they all recognize that idler worship was an innovation. And he's calling them back to that. And not only are his own family members rejecting him, the same people who elevated him as, as the truthful, but they're saying these horribly nasty things about him. So he's being hit from every single direction and he doesn't have the privilege that many of us have, which is to take at least a little bit of time away, even though the world keeps moving, because he still has to lead every single day. But the point is that he has his struggles, which are harder than anything I can handle. But however, you know, I've gone through big struggles in my own life, but I will potentially be hit with even harder struggles in the future as part of the process of Allah bringing me closer. And what does that mean? It's like you're getting squeezed of all the non-Iman out of your heart. Is that such what struggle is, right? It's literally squeezing you. Like we do with a towel to get all the water out. And so, so the word we use, fitna, you know, which you know people love to use for, for just about everything under the sun, is stop causing fitna. So what is fitna? It's it goes uh, in terms of its etymology, it's part of the process of clearing, cleaning out gold ore. So, you know, you're 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 digging and you get this rock that's gold and dirt and such, and then you put it in intense heat to get all the impurities out. So, when you're being hit with struggle, the goal is for the impurities of your heart to be removed. That's how you get closer to Allah. What can happen is I make the wrong choices, and instead, my iman is being removed, which we don't want. So, you keep going back to Allah and such. But that is essentially the goal of struggle. Any other questions about anything at all? Now, I don't want to scare you all, like, to say that, okay, whatever struggle you've been through, you're going to go through something else huge. I'm saying that part of the process of getting closer to a law is you become a stronger person, which means you can handle more. Nether? Yeah. um, So, in your experience, like, how fluidly do we move between these columns? Um, Yeah. So... uh, That type of question, basically, the answer you're going to hear from me over and over again is that uh, it comes down to a couple things. One is, am I taking on the guidance of some sort of teacher or mentor or something like that, Mm -hmm. who is frank and honest with me and tells me what I need to hear versus what I want to hear? It's like if you're going to a fitness instructor at the gym. Mm -hmm. And the fitness instructor is evaluating where you are and all of your strengths and weaknesses and then giving you exercises accordingly. And so that'd be sort of what your spiritual teacher is doing. And, and so if you have something like that, the closer your relationship is, the more time you spend, the more you do the assignments that you're given, the more you will grow. If you're doing it on your own, you can still grow. Uh, it'll just take a little bit longer. Just like if you're doing physical fitness on your own, you can absolutely do physical fitness on your own. Right? And and if you're in the case of someone who is seeking a teacher but you can't find one, then inshallah, still Allah will, will still open up the way for you, you know, in ways you were not expecting. But and so so fluid or not, it comes down to number one, how much of an active process this is, and then number two, you know, if you have someone guiding you in the process. I mean, to make it even better, I can add number three: if you're also doing it with a team even if the team is one other person where you keep each other in check. Uh, Judy posts. So going back to the first class and we're trying to stay connected with the love by way of fully embracing our human experience and finding pleasure with the love. And like in marriage, we're trying to draw close with love. We learn to trust more and be afraid less. Yeah, I'd say that absolutely fits. Like when we speak of marriage being half your Dean, a lot of times young people see it as though, okay, I've checked off half of my Dean, it's done. Rather all the different experiences you're going to have in marriage are basically training for everything outside of marriage, you know, compromising, being patient, you know, delegating, you know, or being delegated, uh the kid raising part everything, you know. So so the point is that it's half your dean in that way. Any other question? Okay, very good, inshallah. We will continue with al fatiha We just have a little bit more, and then we will get into Al-Baqarah. So, uh, no no new homework for today. And so those of you who've been doing the homework, please continue to do so. And people have already started sending me homework and I've been trying to, or send me either homework or other questions, and I've been trying to respond as quickly as I can. Um, but otherwise, we will continue tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma, bihamdika, nashadu la ilaha ilaha anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka wa tabiilee Subhanakallahumma glory to you, O Allah, Wa bihamdika praise and gratitude to you. Nashadu illa ilaha illa anta we bear witness there is no god but you. Nastafiruka we seek your forgiveness, and we turn to you. Okay, may Allah tell word you all, inshallah, and we'll continue tomorrow. Assalamu wa warahmatullahi wabarakat. Tasakallah. Yes.